Now, guys, grab your Bibles and open them with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And let's return to our, our series on um, marriage. And um, uh, if you've been following or tracking with this series at all, you know that, uh, that the subject this morning has to do with wives. Let me read you beginning at verse 22 of Ephesians 5. I'll read only three verses. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. Hey guys, I want to start this morning by telling you about something that's going to happen next week. In this same passage from which I read, and I read it two weeks ago when I was addressing husbands, the whole uh, issue of one flesh comes up in this passage starting at 25 through the end of Ephesians 5. It is a vital part of the whole Pauline discussion on marriage. And, and I, I feel that it would be neglectful of me to not at least address it in some way. Um, now, guys, I have, I have labored to be as discreet and as measured and understated as I can possibly be over this subject. But uh, I did want to at least let you know that that was going to be uh, the subject of our focus next week in case um, that makes any of you uncomfortable. So, uh, I, 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 as I said, labored to be discreet, and I think I've succeeded. So, I relax, I hope. So, there you go. Now, um, one of the... Um, the Christmas gifts that I get every year, whether I want it or not, uh, is for my brother-in-law. He gives me a calendar. You know, one of those desk calendar things, you know, that you tear off one every day. And it's usually about sports trivia or some kind of historical data. But most of them are about uh, vocabulary words. And so um, he's trying to help me expand my vocabulary, which I appreciate. And one of the words that I have picked up um, in that study is the word nupson. <coughs> nupson, N-U-P-S-O-N. Do you know what a nupson is? Well, you don't want to be called one of those. Um, and I hope we have no nupsons here. But a nupson is a fool. He's a simpleton. Uh, that's the definition of the word, nupson. Um... So if I call you an upson, uh, it, it's not nice. But I'm not calling you an upson. But, uh, but along with these words, usually there's some kind of explanation, some kind of historical reference, some kind of discussion. And on this particular date, when Nupson came up, there was this little discussion about um, Sir William Cecil. And this is in the late 1500s, you know, uh, so the 16th century. And Sir William Nups, excuse me, Sir William Cecil um, wrote a booklet for his son. 
And the title of the booklet was Precepts and Directions for the Well-Advice of a Man's Life. Now, I know we don't talk like that, but that's um, Precepts and Directions for the Well-Advice of a Man's Life. And the subtitle um, of the book, uh, or the booklet that he wrote for his son, was Instructions uh, in the Art of Selecting a Wife. Now, I thought that was rather germane uh, for the morning. So um, I want to read you from Mr. Uh, or Sir William's uh, work uh, as he directs his son in selecting a wife, the art of selecting a wife. And I'm quoting here now from uh, Sir William Cecil, whoever he might be. Anyway, he says this. Use great providence and inspection in choosing thy wife. Um, for from thence shall spring all thy fortune, good or bad. And it is an action of life like unto a stratagem of war, wherein a man can err but once. Um, inquire diligently of her disposition and how her parents have been inclined in their youth. Let her not be poor. How generous soever, for a man can buy nothing in the market with gentility. Nor choose a base and uncomely creature altogether for wealth. For it will cause contempt in others and loathing in thee. Neither make choice of a dwarf or a fool. For by one thou shalt beget a race of pygmies. And the other will be thy continual disgrace, and it will irk thee to hear her talk. <laughs> well, um, uh, I am indebted to Sir William for his observations on his thoughts on a good wife, but I, with all due respect, must beg to differ uh, because um, the Bible gives a different description of a good wife. And it does it, or the Bible does it, Rather succinctly, it says that the chief characteristic is that she submits. Now, y'all got to stop giggling out there. Um, you know, as if you wink at the people next to you, as if to say, <laughs> I mean, he can't be serious, can he? I mean, <laughs> I mean, um, um, we all know that um, that women just don't submit anymore. I mean, um, I, we we know what the Bible says, but you know the the culture says something else, big boy. And um, I mean, that just doesn't work. In our day, um, are you some kind of relic, Dr. Young? I mean, over the hill? I mean, this is the 21st century. And, um, and women just, just are different now. And, and, and there's, there's a different set of rules, um, uh, rules uh, which you apparently have not been made aware of. Well, I mean... I mean, he is 65. 
guys, I'll give you this much. I, I, um, I recognize that to a contemporary set of ears, the, the whole idea of, um, of submission uh, seems to be something that is downright straight out of the dark ages. You know, you preach something like this on the college campus, and they will well nigh stone you. Um, that much I, I, I'll grant you. But let me, let me start like this. Um, I tell you what, did you realize who wrote that, that I read out of Ephesians 5? Um, that of course was the apostle Paul. Well, let me read you something else he wrote. He says in uh, Galatians chapter three, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. Um, my, my point is simply that the Apostle Paul is the originator of the whole women's suffrage movement. The Apostle Paul is someone who said things about women that were downright shocking in, in his culture. Completely unheard of that a husband had responsibilities to his wife. Oh, what the, the culture understood that the wife had responsibilities to the husband, but a husband having responsibilities to a wife? I mean, uh, this man was in the, the forefront of uh, redefining the, the, the role of women. Um, and also, by the way, um, were you here two weeks ago when I did speak to husbands? Um, did you hear that sermon? Well, if you didn't, um, I would suggest that you listen to it. Not because it's so excellent, but because, um, because it's based on what Paul said to women in verse 25 and 4 in, in Ephesians 5. And, and my, my question to you is, does what Paul said to husbands sound like um, someone who wants to dominate a woman? I don't think he does. Now, um, consider this. Could it be possible that submission is actually beautiful? Could it be possible I know it's a long shot, but could it be possible that the culture is wrong? Could it be possible that you're wrong? Well, um, here's what I'm going with. I am. Um, I want to try and explain the possibility that um, submission really is beautiful. I want to try and um, explain to you the culture is wrong. 
And this is, and this thing that has become the brunt of Saturday Night Live jokes and skits. And the, um, and the whipping boy of talk show hosts is not only something that women are assigned, It's a part of their beauty. Uh, let, me, let me start like this. Is anybody in this room an Aryan? I, I didn't say, is anybody an Aryan? I said, is anybody an Aryan? Um, I'm not talking about an A-R-Y-A-N. Everybody knows what an A-R-Y-A-N in Nazi terminology. That's a non-Jewish Caucasian. I'm not asking you, are you an A-R-Y-A-N? I'm asking you if you're an Aryan. An A-R-I-A-N. Because if you're an Aryan, you're a follower of a uh, 4th century monk whose name was Arius. Arius was someone who thought or who taught... That Jesus was a creature, and because he was a creature, he was inferior to the Father. Uh, his terminology was that Jesus was not consubstantial with the Father. His views were denounced as, her- as heresy in the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. <laughs> Now, what on earth does that have to do with anything? Well, stick with me. Because, ladies and gentlemen, my whole argument this morning concerning submission being beautiful is grounded in a statement found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. And you need to go there. So, grab your Bibles again and, and go to... 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And ladies, you got to get this. You got to get it. Um, This is bedrock. Let me read it to you first. It's in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3. Here it is. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. Um, Now guys, everybody see that. Arius read that text, 1 Corinthians 11, 3. And he, he noticed at the end it says, and the head of Christ is God. You see that. As a result of seeing that, he came to this conclusion. Oh, the head of Christ is God. Therefore, um, because Christ has a head um, or someone over him, that means that Jesus is inferior and uh, his word was not consubstantial with the Father. Now, This text says that Jesus was indeed subordinated to the Father. 
He yielded to the Father. He submitted to the Father. You see that, ladies? Because he did, does that make him of less value than the Father? Well, of course not. That's heresy. Right. Um, Does that make him inferior to the Father? Well, I wouldn't dream of saying that. That's, That's heretical. Yes, it is. Um, Does it mean that his submission to the Father has made him of an uh, as as occupying some kind of inferior position? Well, of course not. I mean, that's downright Aryan. Yes, it is. To say that the Son of God submitted to the Father and to go beyond that to say because he did, he is thus inferior in any way to the Father is Arianism, ladies and gentlemen. That's heresy. Has been since 325 A.D. at the Council of Nicaea. But here's the point, guys, and I hope you can connect this dot. When you come to Ephesians chapter 5 and you start talking about marriage, some ladies think like Arians. They think submission means... I'm inferior. Ladies, if, if you hate or reject submission because you think it means that you are somehow inferior, then you're thinking like an Aryan. Jesus was submissive to the Father and in no way does that suggest that he is inferior to the Father? And ladies, neither does your submission to your husband mean in any way that you are inferior to your husband's. Submission is not about value. It's not about status. It's not about an inferior position. It's about function. It's about an assigned role that is different from the one that is given to your husbands. And I want to try to illustrate it in two, in two different ways. One of them I've used before. The other one I got out of a book. I'm trying to illustrate the beauty of submission in a couple of ways that I hope that you can relate to. I went to a wedding. Oh, I did a wedding last night. I went to a reception, and it was a beautiful reception. Uh, They had a band, and 
um, good band. And the bride and the groom came down some steps and, and spotlights were on them and cameras. And, and of course, you know now, the big thing is, or one of the big things in weddings, at least the ones I'm doing, um, is that the bride and the groom had their, their first dance. Now, you may not dance anymore, but, you know, if you just get married, you're obliged to have the first dance, you know? You get your little honey out there and dance. You know, um, you know the old cheek-to-cheek stuff, you know? Now, um, ladies, um, when you're out there on the dance floor dancing with your husband, who leads in that? You know, um, best I can remember, when I was dancing with my wife, I was supposed to lead. And even if I was a bad dancer, which I am not, um, (laughs) even if I was a bad dancer, the responsibility to lead out there was still mine. And I've never quite figured out how women did this. But it was really rather remarkable. If I did my job in in leading out there, somehow my wife would follow me with the greatest of ease and, and it was almost nice to watch. Let me ask you ladies, you ever, ever dance like that? Tell me, when you did, surely you have, when you did, um, while you were dancing, did you feel inferior Did you feel that the role that you were playing was somehow beneath you? Well, of course not. Of course not. It's just, it's just that my husband is supposed to lead and I follow his lead. Yeah. And you know, if husbands would do their job of leading and leading well, Why? That's downright beautiful. It just has to do with a different assigned function. I have one. She has one. And when done properly, (laughs) well, I mean... People gather around their televisions to watch people dance with the stars. Because when it's done rightly, you know, it's just, it's just beautiful. And by the way, I've never heard any woman complain about feeling inferior while she dances. Here's my other illustration. Um, it's, about, it's about the boat race. Now, you know what the boat race is, now, don't you? I mean, um, how, how positively backward of you. I mean, how gauche. Um, I mean, were you born in a barn? 
You know, I bet you watch Duck Dynasty too, don't you? Never heard of the boat race? It's come to be known as the boat race, just simply the boat race. It takes place in the spring in London on the River Thames. Um, It's a competition between rowers from Oxford University versus rowers from Cambridge University. Um, It is arguably Britain's greatest sporting event. There are eight-person crews on the River Thames in London. It was first held in 1829. How about that? It was discontinued for a while and then resumed in 1856 and has been held every year since then except during the, wars of, during the years of World War I and World War II. It's a course that is 4.2 miles long. It extends from Putney to Mortlake and ends at the Hammersmith Bridge. Both teams are called, are known as blues. And each boat is blue. Cambridge's boat is light blue and Oxford's boat is dark blue. Cambridge has won 81 times. Oxford has won 77 times with one tie. This past year, it was said over a quarter of a million people lined the the banks of the River Thames to watch the boat race. And 17 million, by the way, watched on television. I missed it. Um, But during the race, ladies and gentlemen, all eyes are focused on the oarsmen occupying the first seat in each boat. And that position is known as the stroke. Don't you love that? The stroke. The person sitting there is responsible for setting the pace of all those who are rowing rowing with him. As the stroke goes, so goes the entire boat. And, you know, you've seen this in the Olympics. I mean, it's a a thing of beauty to watch these these eight-man crews synchronized and and, and working together and and the stroke setting the pace and the others responding in kind. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a labor of exquisite harmony as these two eight-man crews race towards the prize of the silver cup. Now, guys, marriage, marriage requires a similar harmony. The husband... Because of a God-assigned duty is occupying the position of the stroke. He initiates the pace. The wife, a rower every bit is equal, responds with matching oar. Husband and wife working together, fulfilling the responsibility of their respective seats. Love being demonstrated by the stroke. And submission and response, both laboring in unison. 
It begins with a husband when he sets the pace with a stroke of sacrificial love and his wife responds in kind and the marital boat moves forward to claim the most coveted victory of all, that of having an uncommon union. Now that's downright beautiful, don't you think? Imagine, ladies and gentlemen, the chaos if each rower did his own thing. You win through surrender. You, you, you throw that, that, that whole project of selfhood of yours overboard. So that the marital boat can move forward with ease. Let me say it again. That's beautiful. You know, guys, think with me for a minute. Because of the submission of Jesus Christ to the Father, as mentioned here in 1 Corinthians 11, there was a vast and great good accomplished. Because Jesus Christ gave priority to the Father, our needs as sinful men and women were met. Our needs were met for an eternity because the Son submitted to the Father. So it is in marriage. Submission is not, as the culture proposes, a, a call to, an, to embrace an inferior status. Oh no, my friends, it's far more radical than that. Submission represents, or the call to submission, represents a, a, a call to wives to give to their husbands what belong to the wives by right. By, by seeking to emulate their Savior, wives set aside those rights to accomplish a bigger, grander, greater, vaster good, fully equal to their husbands. Godly wives choose to put their needs. They set them aside in the interest of meeting the needs of their husbands. They are not subordinate, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, they subordinate themselves. Like Jesus did. So do you see it, ladies? Your submission is just a reflection of Jesus' submission. 
And it is that volitional aspect of submission that makes it so revolutionary. And ladies, it requires a miracle, a series of miracles, as self is put to death. In fact, and I've been saying this for years, both of us in some ways are asked to do the same thing. That is, both husband and wife are in actuality asked to do the same thing. We are both being asked to die to self. And because we belong to this Savior, the self-centeredness of both genders is dealt a mortal blow. Ladies and gentlemen, by the sovereign wonder of regeneration, we have both, husband and wife, we have both been given a new heart, which we saw a couple of weeks ago in 2 Corinthians 5.17. We're new creatures. Because of regeneration, we've been given a new heart, and that new heart is the hope of marriage. In that act of regeneration, not only is the center of our existence changed, but the Holy Spirit is now taking up residence within us. And that same Holy Spirit has written a book. And in that book, he leaves behind instructions to both of us. To wit, husbands are to be people who no longer seek to use their wives, but to love them sacrificially as Christ. And wives are to no longer seek to master their husbands, but to serve and support them. In the God-assigned duty as unto Christ. So, ladies and gentlemen, marriage is this arrangement of two people of opposite, opposite sexes, but with the same intention. Self-giving. Marriage, you see, is a, is a systematic program of deliberate and thoroughgoing self-sacrifice. And that means, ladies and gentlemen, that when our marriages are bad or our marriages are broken... Either one of us or both of us refuses to play the God-assigned role given to them by the God who wrote this book. 
They prefer a self-centered stratagem. Now tell me, um, how's that working for you? The dance is a disaster. And the boat is going around in circles. Here's the way to fix that. Now, if you think this is huge, you're right. It's huge. Marriage is this wild, audacious attempt at an almost impossible degree of of cooperation between two powerful centers of self-assertion. But that, that pales into insignificance next to the sacrificial love and submission of Jesus Christ. As he left his home in glory and came to save us. And to do that, He chose to submit to the Father. At Bethlehem, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ yielded to the stroke. And because he did, We're saved. How beautiful is that? Our Father, um, I do pray that you will give us um, a sense of the magnitude of what to, that, that thing to which you have called us. That we entered this, this relationship thinking that what we were going to get is liberties and we thought we were going to get happiness and what we got was way beyond that. What we got is a call to both a husband and a wife to die. And I pray, Father, that you will uh, help us in that that pursuit, that both of us will learn to love the assigned role that you've given us. And would you, by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, make us better at playing the role that you gave us? Father, there's a lot at stake. But it's not just our families. It's not just our kids. 
It's a watching world that wants to see something that's different about us. Might our marriages be the first place they look? And we commit ourselves to that, and we do so in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.